When Stanley's Bornak requires heart surgery, he not only needs emotional support, but recovery support as well. And Dorothy is just the sucker to fulfill those needs. But as time wears on and Stan wears on everyone's nerves, Dorothy's love and understanding are pushed to the limits and she must decide if it's time to kick the baby bird out of the nest or get her butt kicked by the roomies. Will Blanche end up with Rob or Bob? Will Dorothy and Stan rekindle their romance? Will Rose tell us what the hell she was up to in the kitchen? All of that and more in today's episode, The Stan Who Came to Dinner. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing, and laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come. It's a lovely evening at home for Sophia in her light salmon slacks, light blue and pink striped shirt, and yellow cardigan. She's helped herself to some snacks and a magazine, settling into the couch for some self-care time. But before she can even sit, there's a ringing of the doorbell. Unfazed, she continues to get comfortable even as the bell rings on. Hollering from down the hall, Dorothy pops her head out of her room, requesting someone answers the door as she adjusts her earring. Following suit, Blanche then pops out and, adjusting her earring, she can't get to the door either because she isn't dressed yet. Rosewood, but she's in the kitchen up to her elbows in flour. Or is that Blanche's cocaine? With no other options, Rose asks for Sophia to get it, which, in all fairness, is totally fair. She's not only closest to the door and not busy, she's dressed. But she doesn't see it that way. Oh, sure, I'll get it. I've had enough rest in my 80 years. I'll just not rest, and after I answer the door, I'll go tar the roof. Tarring the roof can be a good option, especially for a flat roof, and especially in Miami, where it would reflect the heat. But tar is not only bad for the environment, but the fumes can be bad for humans. So, Sophia, might I suggest, as you make your passive-aggressive comments, next time go for the futuristic option, a white roof. Fun fact, scientists at Purdue University have recently created the whitest paint ever, and they're hoping to use it in applications like covering roofs as to eliminate the need for air conditioning. Answering the door, we're greeted by twins. Concerned it might be her age or eyes playing tricks on her, Sophia asks how many of her the twins are seeing before they tell her, we're twins. And they're both there for Blanche. Well, for her to have twin stamina, it must be vitamin E that Blanche is taking, as it actually helps with blood flow and energy, so it is considered to assist in the libido department. Delighted her date Rob has brought his brother along, Bob, as a date for Dorothy, Blanche is surprised he's a twin. Sure, he didn't say he was a twin, but she didn't say that they would be going out with Grandma Moses. 
She must have been pretty hot in the 1980s, as we have discussed her maybe twice now. She was the older woman who came into her painting prime when she was in her 70s. Well, the confusion here is that Sophia's the date, which she isn't. Bob's date is going to be Dorothy. If their names are Rob and Bob, what the heck is Bob short for? I have always had some questions about these guys because it always felt like they were kind of stiff. Like, yeah, the actors are supposed to be playing a character who's kind of rigid and awkward, but on an acting level, it never felt like they were quite up to the same level as the girls. And if you thought Rob and Bob were bad twin names, may I introduce you to Rod and Odile Saab. I can only assume the casting director put out a call for twins in the L.A. area, and they ended up with Rod and Odile. But this was the only acting gig they had. But wow, what a fun one. Not only with the girls, but you got to do it with your brother. I feel like those men were found on a car lot. (laughs) Yeah, it just seems surprising because they're just kind of noticeably cold. I don't, I would not say, I would not describe them as, they're twins, they're not professional actors. Yeah, it felt that way, which is weird because they have several lines. And they're all delivered quite Quite poorly. (laughs) Every last one of them. Don't ask me. Ask him. Ugh. Twin stiffies. Ew. What? That's what I call them. Stop. You're going to get Blanche all worked up. (laughs) Offended by the Grandma Moses line, Sophia offers to beat up Rob so badly his face wouldn't match his brother's. That's a little much, but understandable. Blanche in her salmon dress, which has an 80s knot, but instead of being at the waist, it's at her knees, assures the men that Sophia won't be part of the date. Arriving in an all-black polka dot dress with a white collar and a huge pink flower and pink sash, but over the shoulder, is Dorothy, ready to go on her date. Right away, she gives us a wonderful dad joke of, you look familiar, oh, there you are, which only amuses her. She moves on, surprised to see they're going out with twins. Rob can't imagine why they're surprised. He had told Blanche he and his brother were identical. Well, Rob must be packing some heat or is very romantic or kinky or something that really does it for Blanche because after hearing that the guys are the exact same, she creeps her way to Dorothy, whispering how grateful she'll be for this hookup. How does Blanche, how does Blanche know that? Well, I think she's gone out with... Rob, no. <laughs> I think she's gone out with Bob before. And then... So she's definitely seen it. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, you want to go on a double date? Oh, you have a brother? Oh, I have a roommate? Bada bing, bada boom. Which makes me wonder why she chose Dorothy over Rose, I guess for the company. Sorry, Rose. With another ringing of the doorbell, Dorothy answers only to find Stanley carrying a briefcase and wearing the ultimate... Dad has the kids for the weekend in the late 80s of teal half-zip fleece, pink plaid undershirt, and khakis. Wincing at the pain of the sight of him, Dorothy is not interested in dealing with his crap before going on her hot date. In the same breath of greeting Stan, Blanche also introduces him to the twins as the biggest loser ever. Not one to be bothered by criticism, Stan is delighted to see dollface Blanche. Annoyed there wasn't six months' notice to his arrival, Dorothy tries to shoo him away. Ignoring her desperation, Stan makes his way to the couch, telling her she needs to sign some papers before he goes into surgery. Sophia assumes it's for a hair transplant, but Stan is offended. 
hey, keep it down, not everyone knows this is a toupee. Making a point of how obvious the fake hair is, Dorothy claims even Stevie Wonder, the singer who is visually impaired, could tell that it was fake. An unusually serious Stan with his usual amount of drama implies that the surgery is serious and he'll just wait at the house until after her date. Hopefully they weren't all planning on coming back for a nightcap. You know, wink wink. Twin. With her 38 years of training, Dorothy knows to not fall for his antics, especially when she has tickets to the play The Crucible starring Merv Griffin. Merv Griffin was a lot of things. Singer of I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts, creator of Jeopardy and its music, creator of Wheel of Fortune, a talk show host, and an all-around showman. I don't think he was ever a stage performer, let alone in The Crucible, a play based on the Salem Witch Trials. Perhaps when Dorothy saw him, she could ask him about being a Jeopardy contestant. I bought a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. Slowly dropping into the couch with a pout and puppy dog eyes, Stan is desperately seeking Dorothy's compassion. When Rose finally comes in from the kitchen, Dorothy asks her to take her place on the date. She would, but she got busy at work and she wasn't able to take the bookmobile out, so she's doing that alone. At night, in Miami? Ma'am, are you wanting to end up on Dateline? Rose feels she must get the books out because so many people suffering with depression don't have things to read. Even though for Rose, who outright and casually admits to getting depressed, hooray for normalization, would prefer to knit. So perhaps a knitting mobile would be more appreciated. Or, for Sophia's suggestion, a knitwit mobile. But according to wordsalive.org, a study has found that reading for pleasure can reduce symptoms of depression, helps with relationships, and can increase self-esteem, reduces anxiety, and reduces stress. So get to reading when you've got the blues. With Rose unable to go and Dorothy getting sucked into the drama vortex that is Stanley, Blanche shoes the twins, who even get themselves mixed up, and they go out the door while she speaks to Dorothy. Before Dorothy can finish apologizing for having to cancel, Blanche cuts her off. It's not about replacement, it's about the lurid details running through her mind, imagining simultaneously dating the twins. Maybe it's Southern. <laughs> Sleeping with your brothers is Southern. I mean, this isn't an oh boy as far as being problematic, but oh boy. Not only does Blanche get hot at the idea of incest, but she's totally fetishizing the twins, negating them of individual personalities for her own sexual needs. Also, they look like British potato men. Coco, let's learn from Blanche's distasteful moment and play a game of if you were to date a pair of celebrity twins, who would it be? Now, some examples, we've got Laverne Cox and her brother, Scarlett Johansson and her brother, Giselle Bunchen and her sister, Jason and Jeremy London, Rami Malek and his brother, Mary-Kate Nashley, Aaron Carter and his sister, Linda Hamilton and her sister, Vin Diesel and his brother, so on and so forth. Who are you going on a date with? Scarlett Johansson and her brother. Oh, lovely. I'll f*** them both. Oh, my God. I think I'm going with Rami and Sammy. Malik. Yeah. I love Rami Malik. Yeah, me too. And his brother's adorable. Looks he looks like 
the non-celebrity version of him. You just want those those little guys crawling all over you, huh? <laughs> it's a date. I didn't say hook up with. Mr.'s robot. <laughs> Rami and Sammy. Ooh. Ooh, interesting. Rami. It's Rami. Without acknowledging Blanche's distasteful horniness, Dorothy tries to bring the conversation back to Stan's paperwork. But seeing as he's cut from the same horny cloth as Blanche, he'd rather hear about her plan with the twins. Knowing she'll never get to the point if she allows Stan to listen to Blanche, Dorothy drags him into the kitchen, leaving Sophia to hear about Blanche's recurring twin dream wherein they kill each other while fighting over her. So she's decided. She'll take both of them out, but she'll drive. Sophia can relate. She's had a reoccurring dream wherein John Cameron Swayze puts a watch on her face and throws her across the ice. And that's all there is to it. I love how the writers allowed for kind of an awkward real-life moment. You know, when someone tells you about a dream they've had and you're just kind of waiting for more, but then there isn't more, and so you're like, okay. Starting his career in the 1940s as a journalist, John Cameron Swayze moved on to become a reporter and game show panelist. He then got the gig as spokesman for Timex Watches. To prove their durability and that they had earned their tagline of takes a licking and keeps on ticking, John would host live commercials, as they did back in the day, and do a torture test on the watches, putting them in danger via dishwashers, arrows, ice, paint mixers, and even boat motors. But not a hockey puck, although it's surprising they didn't try that one. In a testament to John Cameron not related to Patrick Swayze's ability to handle live television, have a listen to the motorboat experiment when it all goes wrong while on air. What a test for a waterproof, shock-resistant watch. It was such a test that it threw the watch off in the tank, and I'm very sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen, because we had it all arranged so you would get a picture of that sweep hand still working, as it did perfectly during numerous rehearsals here tonight, I assure you. I know because I have stood in water at least six times this evening, and the watch has functioned perfectly each time. And it's something that only Timex, with that exclusive V-conic movement, could do, could take such a licking and keep on ticking like no other watch built. In the kitchen with the Zbornax, we learn the severity of the surgery Stan is facing. It's a heart bypass. Let's take a moment to talk bypass. From the Mayo Clinic, the surgery itself is to redirect blood flow from a blocked artery. Using a blood vessel from another part of your body, like your leg, they create a bypass, allowing blood flow to improve. While correcting the flow, it doesn't cure or undo whatever disease is causing the heart issues, but it can help improve the odds of dying from heart disease. Some symptoms Stan might be experiencing are chest pain, fatigue, heart palpitations, unusual rhythm, difficulty breathing, shortness of breath, or the sign that actually saved my dad's life, swollen feet or hands. As common as bypass surgery is, with over 500 completed daily in the United States, it is still a major surgery with major risks. It's reasonable for Stan to be scared. He could encounter bleeding, infections, memory loss, kidney issues, a stroke, and, should blood clots loosen during the surgery, a heart attack. But he shouldn't be too worried, as side effects this severe are not common. During the three to six hours Stan will be under the knife, he'll be put under anesthesia and put on breathing machines. His heart will then be stopped via medication while heart-lung machines keep him alive. All of this and a rack of broken ribs means the recovery will be quite intense. After leaving the ICU after a day or two, Stan will be able to get back to the house. His recovery will take between 6 and 12 weeks and will take patience and care. 
but after a month, Dorothy better look out. He will probably be cleared for sexual activity. To avoid such an invasive and intense procedure, there are a few things you can do to improve your heart health, like eating healthy, having a healthy weight, exercising, managing stress, and not smoking. All things that have been super easy to do over the last few years. I'm sure we're all fine. As shocked as Stanley is, Dorothy isn't. How could this be surprising when your idea of a healthy meal is taking the skin off of a not-worst? A bratwurst, the famed German sausage hot dog thing, is very similar to a knotwurst, although a brat uses pork and beef while a knotwurst uses mostly pork with their other favorite meat, veal, and some garlic to taste. It's also smaller than a brat. And no, taking the intestinal casing off the outside is not going to make it all that much healthier. Stan almost starts to lose it, but he pulls himself together, feeling confident in the cool cat that's going to cut him up because he's primo. Referring to someone as a cat or cool cat actually came from the jazz scene of the 1940s. And yes, Rat Pack member and all-around talent extraordinaire Sammy Davis Jr. was fond of using all the hippest slang of the day, baby. He liked to be a proper Beverly Hills host, and at 70s parties, he'd put a bowl of cocaine next to the mixed nuts. What were the drugs doing? What was alcohol doing, making you run away from... from... No, it was part of the image. You see, if you get the title swinger, and you can't sit in the library all day. You know, you've got to go to a bar and be a swinger. It was nice to be, have the stuff and be there so I could be, you know, hey, we can always go to Sam's. He's got some stuff, you know. As confident as Stan feels in the doctor doing the surgery, he's equally scared to have his chest cut open, his ribs broken, and his heart stopped. A valid concern. Locks, or its full Christian name, belly locks, is simply raw salmon which has been cured in salt. A platter from one of Sophia's favorite spots, the since-closed Jewish deli Wolfie's, would probably include cucumbers, onions, bagels, hard-boiled eggs, and other charcuterie fare. Yes, the lox is sliced thin. No, Stan's heart will not resemble lox. For 45 years, Wolfie's Gourmet Deli Restaurant has been serving our world-famous sandwiches, chicken soup like Grandma used to make, stuffed cabbage with our own sweet and sour sauce, and legendary cheesecakes and desserts. Wolfie's new menu features over 150 tempting treats, from early bird breakfast to late night snacks. And as always, buckets of coleslaw and pickles for everyone. And we're still the best caterers in town. Yes, come back home to Wolfie's. The only thing Sophia hears in all of this is lox, and she would also like some bagels, sour pickles, and danishes. As long as they don't come with poppy seeds, those get stuck in her dentures. It's not just the fiber content of prunes that assist in moving things along, bathroomly speaking. The fruit actually helps to draw water into your intestines, kind of lubricating the process, helping to move the locks on out. Sophia, being in her 80s, is not worried about surgeries. Those are a dime a dozen. What she is worried about is Stan's recovery. How will you be taken care of when you have no one who likes you and you live alone? When sympathetic Dorothy wants Ma to be nice, she goes a little too far in the nice department by insisting Stan stays with them to recuperate. Yutz, a Yiddish word, has a dictionary definition of being a person variously regarded as ineffectual, foolish, disagreeable, contemptible. Speaking of Stan, Sophia's Italian love of family makes it all pretty clear. He might die. We're family. Which is Dorothy's fault. Or perhaps not, as we learn in a future episode. And it's our job to take care of him. 
Stan hadn't really thought of how he would be tended to, and with the blessing of Dorothy, he agrees that he'll stay. Moving as fast as the locks after the prune Danish, Sophia changes the subject back to those exact things. Okay, remember, grab me bagels, locks, pickles, cream cheese. Joining a toupee-less and blue robe-wearing Stan in Dorothy's room, Blanche and Rose, in their own Georgia O'Keeffe-inspired print robe and soft pink, respectively, come to give their respects. Not in that way. It's just that they want to say goodbye. But not forever. They want to give their best wishes should he leave. For the hospital, not for heaven. Stan's so nervous, and Herb plays it so well. While Dorothy leans into her strengths, like her strength, she's extra focused and short while Stan seems to be lost and foggy. It's very similar to how my parents were before my dad's surgery. But it's hard for Stan to get the soft comfort he is seeking from the stoic Dorothy, so he starts to verbalize his fears. The logical side of his brain knows that this is common and safe. The other side is like, whoa. I'm getting cut open and something could happen. He is sort of right. He has just about a 3% chance of dying while in the hospital, according to hopkinsmedicine.org. I love that Dorothy's response to his cry for comfort is, yeah, you could die. Lost in his own fear, Stan feels like he has to confess his sins should things go wrong. Let's talk about the first sin, Dorothy's outfit. We've got white slacks and a light blue top wherein the blue has sort of a scribbly pattern and a white collar that bleeds all the way down like a bib mixed with a tuxedo, mixed with a dicky. Good lord. As far as real sins are concerned, Stan has a heap of them. Besides cheating on Dorothy and leaving her, effectively ending their marriage, he had other indiscretions she wasn't aware of. About 10 years into their marriage, Stan left for a chain-link fence convention, which is the most Stan-sounding event, but it is real. You can attend the American Fence Association convention. Hopefully, unlike Stan, you won't be having an affair. Except his affair wasn't at the expo. He just made that part up so he could have the affair. Poor Stan. He couldn't help having the affair. The waitress at the Greek diner he went to every day for breakfast offered to butter his buns. Then bada-bing, bada-boom, they're both getting their buns buttered. I love the realness in Dorothy's reaction. Sure, this was 30 years ago, but she's just now learning about it. And while he was away, she was praying he would make a sale to feed their family while she was stuck with the kids. Instead, he was planting his flag on Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus, the highest mountain in Greece and home to the gods of Greek myth. And planting a flag on it, well, you get it. Do you find Stan's actions, you probably, you get to this, how selfish it is to do that? Like, not just, not just, like, barging into their lives, but being like, I might die, here's all this crap that I did to you. Yeah, or like, I'm also expecting you to take care of me after you learn this. That too. But you also wouldn't want to learn after to be like, oh, I just cared for you and now you're telling me all these affairs. That's a very good point of just, hey, you might need that right now, but can you check with me if... I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> or like, can you be vague so I can just say, you are forgiven. You can have a clear conscience. I don't need to know all the details. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was just for him. It's oh, like, yeah. It's like, I'm gonna I might die, so I'm going to unload this and just give it to you. Yeah, here's all my secrets and lies. And, <laughs> Enjoy and the burden. Just in time to not have to really get into detail because I'm getting surgery in the morning. Yeah, and you can't be mad at me. Yeah. Because I'm sick and I'm going to be like, 
uh, in a weakened state for a really long time. But I'm sorry. Yeah, that's really manipulative of him. Just when you're like, well, at least he's, you know, getting the weight off his chest and at least he's being honest with her. It's like, actually, no. You you should maybe take that to your grave because that's your guilt, bro. Yeah. Your actions, jerk. Yeah. Yet again, putting her in a pretty bad situation. What a yetz. And interfering with his, with, with Dorothy's dating life. Yes. I've had it. <laughs> I know Stan does have such a charm to him, but then when you like exactly. dissect it and put it on paper, it's like you are the worst. He's just like that friend that's just not good for you. Yeah. You're going to maybe have a good time, but at the end you will be mad at them and you know that going in. <laughs> Stan. Selfishly, Stan begs Dorothy to forgive him so he can have a clear conscience going under. Typical Dorothy, when it comes to Stan, she doesn't want to fight. She doesn't have the energy to try to get him to understand, so she just forgives him. Stan is grateful for Dorothy's understanding, comparing it to that of a priest. But knowing he has more confessing to do, he knows it would take a miracle or the forgiveness of a Vatican softball team to be understanding with the next bit he's going to drop. Stan must have been a psychic as there wasn't actually a Vatican softball team in 1986, but there is one now, established in 2019. They aren't too worried about competitions, though, but it would take the 60 athletes in the Vatican Athletic Sports Association to forgive Stan's indiscretions. Since everything's coming out anyway, Stan has decided to share there was more than a few indiscretions Dorothy doesn't know of. Later on, there was a bar connected to that same Greek diner. Instead of buttering his buns, he and his new lady broke some dishes and shared some drinks before he woke up in a hotel room, his mouth full of toupee. It's Greek restaurants where you can sometimes be permitted to break dishes. It's a tradition used to express joy and happiness. Dorothy is shocked but not surprised by this news. She always had a suspicion Stan would cheat but assumed it would be with his secretary, who somehow had that job but couldn't type or take shorthand. Shorthand is a method of note-taking which utilizes abbreviations and was commonly used by secretaries when taking dictation. To really master shorthand, it would take about a year of practice. Funny enough, shorthand isn't all that different than internet speak of today. The word light would be LT, about would be ABT, etc. But Dorothy's wrong. That girl could take shorthand and she was the one he slept with. Well, Dorothy just can't believe it. She can't believe it. Stunned is the only word to describe how stunned she is. That chick could take shorthand? Dismissing Dorothy's feelings, Stan gets the topic back to where he loves it. On him. He never loved anyone more than he loved Dorothy, and he needs to know that they're okay before he goes under the knife. They're cool, she assures him, which eases his stress and makes him feel better. Swinging his hospital bag into his crotch makes her feel better. a new location. This time it's the Biscayne General Hospital. Now you may think that that's just a hospital in Miami or a set for fun, but oh boy is it more than that. I happened to come across David Grimes at that Grimes on Twitter and he had a whole thread about this hospital. Hold on to your butts. 
It should be no surprise to anyone, my life has been deeply influenced by Miami Vice and the Golden Girls. What might be surprising is I now have proof that they take place in the same Golden Vice universe. I grew up in South Florida, so when I watched Golden Girls and they visited Biscayne General Hospital in Season 2, Episode 20, I was confused. The hospital does not exist. I figured it was just a clever nod to Biscayne Bay and moved on. Imagine my surprise upon rewatching Miami Vice to see Biscayne General Hospital again with its very distinctive brown sign. Season 1, Episode 4, There It Was, Plain as Day. Crockett and Tubbs were walking the same halls as Blanche, Rose, and Dorothy. This wasn't just a shared filming location. It was the same fictional hospital. So obviously, I needed to know more. That's when I discovered... At Rich Tom Meso's story, Dry County, adapted to a comic with Image Comics, there it was. The further I went, the more there was to find. Women in White, 1976, was a miniseries drama focusing on the lives of doctors and nurses at Biscayne General Hospital. The series was based on the best-selling novel by Frank G. Slaughter. In a fun twist, the building from Miami Vice and Golden Girls actually is a hospital, the U Health Tower. At the time of filming, it was Cedars Medical Center. How cool is that? Thank you, David Grimes, for all of your research. In the living room, I mean waiting room full of living room furniture, we find Blanche, Dorothy, and Rose waiting for news. Popping in, Sophia's back from wandering around and getting into other people's business. The best thing to do at hospitals. And she has news to report. Her friend is actually there after falling in the shower, breaking her hip, falling through the shower door, hitting her head, and swallowing her dentures. You know, no big deal. Dorothy in her tan zebra top, rose in a teddy bear sweater, a new black one, not the red and yellow one, and Blanche in her all red business suit are anxious to hear that Stan is okay. Surprisingly, it's Dorothy more than anyone who has worked up. She didn't think she'd be there with him. She also feels strange that, even though they're divorced, because of their lives together, she would feel like a widow if he died. From the Oxford Dictionary, widow comes from the Old English word vide, meaning be empty. There's also the Latin vidus, meaning bereft, Greek ethios for unmarried man, and Sanskrit vid, meaning be destitute. Is it strange that I found that kind of romantic? The meaning behind the word having that kind of like weight to it? I think that that is accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I think those are, those are very, those are perfect words for yeah, it. Yeah. And not it is just... romantic. Yeah. It is sort of like yearning someone. <laughs> oh, my heart yeah, to be will like... go on. <laughs> I feel like that doesn't happen all the time. And so there's like a romance of being empty. Sorry, I'm such a goth girl. This, of course, triggers a picture-it Atlanta story from Blanche. Feeling blue and missing George, Blanche and her friends decided to go out one night. Approached by some truckers, they bought the ladies some drinks, but then one noticed Blanche's wedding ring. Protecting her, her friend spoke out, she's a widow. Well, that had caused such a problem, it taught Blanche a lesson. The next time George left town for work and she was going to go out, she would just leave that ring at home. It's not so much that she was cheating, she was just flirting. According to many websites like iDiva.com, flirting is healthy. 
be it you're building self-confidence, bringing a very small and healthy amount of jealousy to a relationship, building friendships with people who you share common interest with, or you're flirting with your partner, you're releasing happy hormones like serotonin, dopamine, and adrenaline. Flirting is fun for everyone, single or not. Just make sure you set your boundaries with your partner before doing so so that feelings aren't hurt. It's kind of like that video. Well, I'd say TikTok, but I'm old and I hate TikTok. So I actually saw it on Instagram. Anyway, there was a guy who was ranting saying, you know, if your girl's out flirting and a bunch of guys are buying her drinks, then she's cheating on you. But then there was another guy being like, are you kidding? I love when my girl goes out because she just saved me like a hundred bucks getting drinks bought for her. So something to think about. I'm just not sure how much flirting helps with your buttocks. Rose. Oh, Hi, Rose. We've heard like three words from you this episode. How are you? What were you cooking? Why do you wear your other teddy bear sweater so often? But I don't think we ever see this one again. Anyway, she has a story about being a widow also. She hates the finality of the word, and she doesn't really feel like that's the case. Someday when she passes, she and Charlie will be reunited. Who knows where, though? It's not like they'd need the space of the house. The kids will be grown, and they'll be dead. I love that line so much. Coming in to tell the ladies that the surgery is over and everything went fine is Dr. Deutsch, played by Steve Kramer. Correct me if I'm wrong, Coco, but I think he takes the prize for most credits so far by a guest star. Steve Kramer has 371 credits to his name. Interestingly, they almost all come Woo from- doggy! <laughs> That's a lot of credits. That's a lot. Sorry we've to had, bust in. No, we've had, thank you, Ellen. We've had people. <laughs> Ellen like, Bustin? Yeah. <laughs> we've had people on here where it's like, oh my God, I've seen this person for a million years in everything ever, and it's like 150 credits. This guy has 371. That is like nonstop work. And I do not recognize him in any fashion. Well, maybe that's because almost all those credits come from voiceover work. I mean, yeah, you can't see a face Additionally, when you hear a voice. They're almost all anime. What's what's the anime? Do you have I any think names? They're, I think they're cool. So basically, it's when the shows are redubbed for English. He's like the guy. So acting-wise, he was on Dallas, Gilmore Girls, Falcon Crest, Roseanne, ER, Jake and the Fat Man, where he also played a doctor. But his voice had him doing stuff on Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, Cowboy Bebop, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and he's done video game voices like Ghost in the Shell. So, yeah, you've heard him. The doctor has great news. Stan is doing fine and will be moved from ICU in two days. After that, once home and recovering, he'll be back to new in as little as three months. More upset now that they've agreed to take Stan in for three months than she was about the surgery, the girls on the couch pout while the Petrillos hug it out and weep. It's been two months and we're back at the house. Stan is all better watching sports and eating popcorn with Sophia, who was too busy yelling at the TV to pay attention to him. As Stan starts to brag about how it's interesting to others that he has knowledge of basketball, Sophia stops him. As someone who has lived with you for two months, I can tell you, there's nothing that's interesting about you. As Stan tries to engage Sophia in basketball conversation, daring her to ask him anything she'd like, she does have a question. When the hell are you going home? Perhaps too dumb or too sad to react, Stan just laughs it off as Sophia excuses herself. That moment is kind of sad to me, and we didn't talk about it while watching it, but she's like, 
literally saying, I'd be happy to kill you and like, go home, leave. We hate you. And he's just like, <laughs> I feel like this episode is our most intimate look at Stan so far. You know, we've kind of seen him with Dorothy uh, in the beginning when they butted heads. And then we saw them kind of almost rekindling things and like revisiting stuff because Blanche was with him. And now we're really seeing more of him. And like you said, you're like, this is a damaged guy. He seems just always desperate to be connected to someone yeah. at all times and dependent on someone at all times. Yeah, he doesn't want to be alone, but he doesn't want to do the work it takes to figure out how to keep people around. Boom. Stan, you've been uncovered. <laughs> Zbornak revealed. <laughs> well... You'll take comfort in knowing in a, a while we're going to meet his mother. And that's going to answer a lot of questions. It usually does. <laughs> As someone that had to just spend the weekend with my mother. <laughs> that's right. Many similarities <laughs> did I see. And also, my one of my favorite things is pointing out those similarities between you and your mother because they drive you crazy. <laughs> I know. You start to you silently scream. I see them more often now, too. Yeah, they're there. It's because you're getting older, too. I know. Mm, it's sweet. Your mom's great. I know. So it's super cool. Coming in the front door, home from a date with Rob, or Bob, Blanche, in a blue dress and yet another low-hanging, unflattering knot, is scampering to her room to get a wrap to wear in the new convertible Rob Bob just purchased. Cheering on the man who won Blanche's heart, or at least part of her, Stan shakes Rob Bob's hand while spilling the gossip he overheard last night, that the girls had been talking about the twins and Rob was the big loser and Bob had it all going on. Just then, Blanche announces to Rob that she's ready to go. Well, so is Rob. Miffed, he leaves. But good on Blanche for having a two-month relationship. We haven't seen that in a while. Offended by Stan's tea spilling, Rob Bob sees himself out. I mean, even if it wasn't Rob, he would still have the right to walk out because his lady was talking about his brother like that, especially after their wild night together. Gmail us that fan fiction. After Sophia left, expressing delight in the idea of killing Stan, Blanche would join her after he ruined her relationship, and Rose is hopping on the kill train as well as Stan, perhaps reminiscing about his time with his secretary, dropped a plate of hers. And not just any plate, a plate that belonged to her great-great-grandma. At a family wedding, you put fruit on the plate. Once the last piece is gone, the couple leaves for a wedded night of bliss in a tent or a Best Western. Then the husband presents himself on the plate to his bride. This historical account of the plate only serves to upset Stanley, who had used it for his lunch earlier in the day. For Rose, it isn't that the plate is broken. It's that she won't have anything for her niece's wedding, which could be used as the presenter plate. I can only imagine the writer saying, what would be the funniest dishware to have a man sit on or put himself on for his wedding night? And a gravy boat was the winner, which is pretty dang funny to imagine. Very encapsulating. Home from picking up strawberry quick after going to three stores to find it, Dorothy is back. Stan is grateful, so much so he's off to take a shower while she prepares his flavored beverage. Fun fact, Strawberry Quick came out in 1960, contains a surprising amount of beet juice, and it does not contain strawberry. Even the syrup used for flavoring is strawberryless. And side concern, Stan asked for a mug of it. Does that mean he's asking for a hot strawberry milk as though it were chocolate quick or hot chocolate? That's upsetting. 
Please Gmail us if you drink strawberry quick hot. I've never heard of such a thing, and I need to understand. We've been deprived of Rose for most of this episode, but she's making the most of her time by giving us the story of her pet lamb, Thor. Thor the sheep struggled to find the joy and energy to sheep it up. He wouldn't play, wouldn't slay, would only lay. Oops, there I go slipping into verse. So to help him, they built a makeshift mother, Brunhilda, out of an inner tube wrapped in wool. Brunhilda, or Brunhild, or Brynhild, was an ancient German heroine. She was a female warrior from the 6th century, and her name means armor and conflict. Brunhilde worked, and Thor was able to come out of his separation anxiety and sheep it up with the other sheep, until he played a little too hard with his mother, and he deflated her. He slipped back into loneliness, only baaing at car tires from time to time, and Stan is Thor. He needs to be booted from the nest before he gets too comfortable. Dorothy, who is normally our most reasonable, seems to lose that sense when Stan's around. She defends him, saying he's just trying to heal. But the girls disagree. He's getting comfortable. In the most Dorothy fashion, she's never embarrassed or apologetic. She isn't like, yeah, guys, I know, I know, I can't believe I married him either. You know, how we all feel when looking back on our exes. She also isn't running around trying to make up for his presence. Both of those are things that I would probably be doing if I were in her situation. To prove the point of Blanche and Rose, Stan comes in wearing Dorothy's pink satin robe. After insulting Stanley's angels for not picking up his dry cleaning, he rudely sits at the table and helps himself to cheesecake. It's a few weeks later, and Stan is in bed looking pathetic as Rose and Blanche tend to him. Sure, Blanche, in an adorable salmon-colored button-up, is happy to help. Well, she's happy to help Dorothy, not happy because she hates Stan. And she can't help but point out how odd it is that on the day he was cleared to go home, he had a relapse. Stan suggests it's just that hearts are funny. Staring at his crotch, Blanche is sure most of his organs are pretty funny. Backing up Blanche's feelings, Rose makes it clear to Stan that his existence has been a burden. He's been there too long, and he's eating all of their food. In her white, multicolored sweater with little blue trim, Rose lets Stan have it. Why, if you were behaving like this during the Viking times, the women would have deemed you useless and left you in the snow. Coming in, supporting the Miami Dolphins in her orange and green sweater, Dorothy has news. Not good or bad, just news. The doctor said it was totally normal to seem close to being recovered, but relapse a little. Kind of a two steps forward, one step back. That is, unless you're MC Scat Cat. After being denied the remote because Dorothy felt he should be sleeping, Stan gets up to turn on the tube as soon as she leaves. That's when we hear Mario Machado, the king of 80s newscaster sports reporter acting. In nearly all of his 51 credits, from Beverly Hills 90210 to the RoboCop films, Murder, She Wrote, Scarface, Wonder Woman, and Police Story, he was the guy. Good morning. I'm Casey Wong with Jess Perkins. Top story, Pretoria. The threat of nuclear confrontation in South Africa escalated today. Watching a basketball game because he's an expert, Stan gets quite involved in reenacting the action in Mario's commentating. Stan air shoots just as Dorothy walks in. Right away, the little liar is lying. Oh, he just thought some exercise might help. 
but now he's weak and needs help getting to bed. Dorothy has finally seen the light. She did everything for him, took care of him, stood up for him, forgave him, and this is what she gets? Sure, all the caregiving is nice, but that's not what Stanley is sticking around for. It's that he feels safest after feeling so scared for his life, being surrounded by the ones he loves. Dorothy is moved, literally, across the room to sit by Stan's side. Wow, what a pile of crap you just poured out. Yeah, you may love me, but it's fear that's keeping you here, not love. And just like when Stan left her, she was scared, on her own. But she got through it, and he needs to do the same. Since Dorothy isn't his mother or his wife, she has to push him out of the nest and force him to take responsibility. With a final blow of a kiss, Dorothy wishes Peter Stan, I mean Peter Pan, a happy birthday. Meaning, for the boy who would never grow up, the time had come to do so. You're a crook, Captain Hook. Judge, won't you throw the book at the... When someone you care about, be it the father of your children, a friend or family member, your natural reaction is to help. But just like they tell you when you're flying, you can't help others until you put your mask on first. So if you aren't looking out for your needs, like holding someone accountable for pushing past your boundaries, you're going to end up burnt out and unable to help at all. Being a caregiver is difficult. Being the person that is healing is equally hard. You don't want to feel like a burden. You're tired and your body is processing a trauma. Surprisingly, it feels as though Stan and Dorothy did do some of this right. Stan vocalized his fears and concerns so Dorothy knew where he was at. Dorothy asked him to leave when it felt like he was disrespecting and taking advantage of her. As long as the caregiver and person in recovery are communicating their needs and feelings, helping and healing can come easier to both. If you are a caregiver and you're in need of some support, please call the Caregiver Action Network's Caregiver Help Desk at 1-855-227-3640, or you can visit them online at caregiveraction.org. As always, thank you for listening, and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week when we discuss exploding bosoms with the actor. God, I'll I cut the, I'm cutting all of this and I'm mad I at you. I didn't even know how you got there. <laughs> well, I smoked a lot of pot. <laughs> Which I only know from The Lion King. Bah. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Diddly, diddly, there they are standing in a row. Doom, boom, boom. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. I could, I could really go for like a gigantic hot dog right now. Well... Shut oh, it down. Let's go to Costco. We should go to. Can we go to Costco? Yeah. Oh my God, I really want. I just want hot dogs. <laughs> Do you need a membership to get hot dogs? I don't think so. Great. And if not, you just walk in with somebody and just walk over to the counter. Hello, I'd like your hot dogs. <laughs> if I'm out somewhere and someone sent over some mac and cheese or a slice of pizza mm-hmm. and a soda, forget about it. Married. Yeah. It's like a gondola for your ding dong. <laughs> A gondingla, gonding. No, no, abs- absolutely not. <laughs> Always be my sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always be my sisters is a Cascade Media production. 
You'll always be my sister